Welcome to the podcast of America This Week, courtesy of the Catholic Channel on Sirius XM 129. If you want to listen to more, subscribe to Sirius XM and tune in on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Good day and welcome to the broadcast. I'm Father Matt Malone, Editor-in-Chief of America Magazine. And I'm Carrie Weber, Executive Editor for America. And each week we offer you the news and analysis from the intersection of the church and the world gathered by our team at America Media. And we are joined here in the studio by this, the central nervous system of that team, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Tim Reedy, our Executive Editor. Good to see you all again. I don't think we've been on the show together in a while. Yeah, I know. Nice. <laughs> and we inaugurated this podcast, I know, I know. Yeah, the, the three of the us. The band's back together. <laughs> <laughs> the reunion tour. <laughs> and it's worth noting that if you go to our website, americamagazine.org slash SiriusXM, uh, there's a really good interview that our colleague Kevin Clark did with a uh, Korean bishop. It's called As Winter Olympics Draw Near, South Korean Bishop Maintains Hope for Peace with North Korea. Uh, and I think it's, it's, worth, it's worth a look. Uh, it goes deeper into some of the... Uh, topics that we were discussing before the break, um, and it is it is hopeful at a time when not a lot of people are feeling hopeful about this issue. Yeah, no, he. Does, I mean, some interesting quotes. Very critical of some of the the statements that uh, the president has made about North Korea, but also trying to you know to he's he reminds us that you know you know as much as many problems we may have with the North Korean regime. Remember that these people um, a are very poor, you know, and and we must always remember that. And also that um, they're also very proud of their heritage. So, you know, they, you know, you have to engage that and kind of understand that when you when you speak about them and when you try to engage them. So and the South Koreans, of course, are you know very much on the front lines of this. Yeah. And he, and he talks about this in the context of hoping that President Trump applies these lessons to his language, right, to yeah. use um, a more refined sense of language and understanding this honor and this pride and not just trying to like belittle people with nicknames and broad statements absolutely absolutely uh, and so the, I agree with the bishop that would be a nice thing I'm not sure that's realistic <laughs> <laughs> the president is who he is and um, uh, but uh, you know we I, I do think it's really important while we may not quite a, ever understand exactly what drives him um, it's really important that we understand what our fellow citizens uh, who you know who who vote who who voted for him who uh, have supported him about what you know what it is that's driving them and their concerns and uh, and to that end we had uh, uh, a great piece in the magazine by uh, John Miller. Yeah, it's called uh, West Virginia Town looks for a new start in Trump's America, uh, and you can find it at americamagazine.org/seriousxm. Uh, and John Miller is a writer who is based in Pittsburgh, used to work for the Wall Street Journal, grew up in Brussels, and has reported from 27 different countries. So wow. uh, this trip through West Virginia was maybe less exotic, but maybe more lessons in the sense that sometimes our own country can feel foreign to us at times. Yeah, you can be surprised by what's happening in your own backyard. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Uh, and he, yeah, he's got uh, several awards for his reporting, and we're glad to have him in our pages. Uh, John Miller, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. So, um, what what prompted you, John, to, uh, to to travel out to West Virginia and to do this reporting? Well, um, I'm going to start off by saying that I grew up uh, in Brussels, and even though I, I sound very American, and my parents are American. Um, being in the U.S. is often like being in a foreign country. <laughs> so I still have the uh, 
there's that line about being a foreign correspondent that you can only write about a place if you've been there less than 10 days or more than 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I'm still surprised by things I see. So my connection to Moundsville started a few years ago. I was driving back from something, I forget what, maybe like to see a coal mine. I covered the, the coal industry for the Wall Street Journal. And I saw a sign, driving through Moundsville, I saw a sign that said, Paranormal Hot Dog Stand. Wow. I I stopped off and met a guy named Steve Hummel who um, had uh, opened a hot dog stand and it hadn't really worked out. So he had uh, put a bunch of like spooky antiques in there and called it paranormal and attracted um, visitors and was sort of moonlighting as a a sort of tourist thing. And I. I Well, it worked. You pulled over, right? I pulled over and stopped and wrote a story about Steve for for Halloween for the. Mm For the front page of the journal, this and did I, not I make it into our story. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, well, I don't like to. <laughs> I thought it'd be great to get, go back to Moundsville, uh, and then in the context of, of the Trump moment and looking at their, their numbers and how how much they supported Trump, I th- and learning more about the town, I thought this would be a great kind of stand-in for what's happening all over the, the Midwest. Right, and so this is this is Moundsville, West Virginia, uh, in uh, which is in Marshall County, uh, which. Uh, Mr. Trump carried 73% to 22%, right? Um, Correct, yeah. And so, you know, tell us about uh, the folks there and, and you know, um, why, you know, what what they're concerned about, what they're worried about, and, and you know, whether, uh, you know, the Trump administration is delivering on the promise they saw in him. Um, well, uh, they, um, like, like all Trump voters, or like most Trump supporters, voted for him because he's a businessman and, and they thought that um, economic prosperity might follow um, in the form of, of uh, factory jobs or, or at least um, the companies that are there hiring more. Um, and and the, the, the truth is that um, there aren't a, a great rush of, of companies building new factories in, in towns like this because the labor force is not there, the markets aren't really there. Um, it's not really realistic, um, and so they're, they're sobering up a little bit. And but what they're looking at is is an economy that actually does work. It just works differently than uh, it might have worked 30 or 40 years ago when they did have uh, thousands of factory jobs. And one thing that's amazing about Moundsville, it still blows my mind, is they used to make everything there. I mean, there was a, a factory in the 30s that made airplanes, uh, and this is not just like some small. Um, Appalachian town that only had a coal mine. This, 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 this is like, you know, like one of those economic zones in China. Like they made belts and shoes and clothes and uh, toys. Uh, and now the only factory left is, is a, a, a bottle cap factory. But to get, back, to get back to your question, I mean, they're concerned with coping with the economy they do have, as opposed to trying to recover a fantasy economy that's not going to come back. And that's an economy based on energy, so gas and coal. Uh, which they have, both, both of which they have, and um, services, so things like the the big Walmart, or uh, there's a casino nearby too in Wheeling, or um, uh, tourism. They have two big tourist attractions, and and they're also focused on bringing in more tourists. Now, you, it's uh, the picture you paint is not um, one that sort of is in line with the picture that President Trump used in his inauguration speech about quote American carnage. You point out, right? It's not. It, 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 although it, it seems to be one of the types of towns that he's sort of alluding to, but the reality in the in the town actually has a, a lot more vibrancy to it, despite its economic struggles, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's not it's not it's not uh, hell with 
people lying in the streets dying of of opium or uh, opioid addictions. Um, it's not uh, a place that is kind of uh, obviously prospering with a bright future no matter what. I mean, if energy prices crash, uh, it could also crash. Um, I think its main problem is it's getting older and its community ties are fraying in ways that are becoming more and more obvious. And I think a lot of the studies have shown that the divisiveness in the country right now is due in part to uh, uh, community groups, be it uh, church groups or uh, bowling leagues or uh, local historical associations reporting fewer and fewer members so people get together uh, less often. Technology allows people not to go out and meet each other. Uh, in a place that has a graying population like Moundsville, it's especially vulnerable to that because you don't have young people um, going out and making new things happen. Yeah, that's a big part of your story, John, that that people worry about is that young people tend to leave because if they want jobs in the tech sector or, you know, in, in any number of industries, they're more likely to find jobs on the coasts than in places like Moundsville. But that kind of has a, uh, yeah, I mean, that that can have a real, um, it can really hurt the community in so many ways. That's right. And I think it's part of the, the inequality uh, that is deepening in the country um, where you have uh, bright kids in places like Moundsville. It's not hard for them to see that life is better or perceived to be better in the big cities. And it's not hard for them to find opportunity. I mean, tech sectors are growing. Uh, white, white collar jobs, uh, for the most part, are doing just fine in this country. Um, and so they, they do leave and seek opportunity if they have the skills to leave. And I mean, economically, it's sort of a, a, one of the biggest tragedies I've, I've found reporting is that economically, the right thing to do is for them to leave and to leave behind the, their communities from a strictly rational point of view. And you talk to some economists who say, I mean, that is what they should be doing. And especially if, if I mean, Moundsville is doing better than a lot of places, but in, in some of these small towns, the biggest source of income is now transfer payments, so disability and social security. And there's really, you know, less and less kind of classic capitalist economic rationale for anybody to stay. Uh, and that's a tragedy in the sense that it's hard to see what what a sort of happy human outcome is. Well, and you mentioned this cap factory. They actually, they have job openings, but they have problems finding people because many of the young people have left or working in they, the gas they industry. People. Yeah. And, and the thing is that some of these short-term gas jobs are very lucrative and can pay uh, six figures, um, even if you don't have a college degree. Uh, they're not forever, uh, but I mean, gas is doing pretty good right now. Uh, so uh, why work for 20 bucks an hour and make you know 40 a year when you can make 100 uh, working in the gas fields? Even even if your contract runs out after six months, it's still a better short-term alternative. So how are they responding now to? I mean, what, you you say that there there there's a a greater sobriety in their talks about uh, Mr. Trump, but it also seems like it was there from the beginning, right? They 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 really were just focused on the fact that they thought this was the candidate who could actually help us the most in rebuilding our economy, and and they kind of ignored all the other stuff, right? That 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 took up so much of the the airwaves. That's true, and yeah, and, and um, for some of those those um, uh, economic portfolios, they're not totally off base in saying that the president has helped them, especially in, in coal, where um, uh, EPA regulations and um, health and safety regulations are, are not being enforced as they were during the Obama years, and, and coal companies are kind of breathing a little uh, more easily. And, and you've had uh, increased production this year in West Virginia and elsewhere. You also had um, increased minor deaths, by the way, uh, in coal mines. 
Um, I haven't looked, not looked carefully at the numbers, so I'm not going to draw any conclusions, but that, that is a fact. Um, and so um, there's a mine right outside of, of Moundsville, and the, the main character in the story, his son, actually works at that mine. Um, and they've rehired workers they had laid off uh, under Obama. Um, and, and they're part of this um, trend that has West Virginia exporting uh, more, a lot, lot more coal than last year, especially to Asia. Did you find, uh, how did you find yourself being received when you were there? Were people eager to kind of talk about these things? Were they worried about uh, your perception of them or being judged or, um, you know, being quoted on these issues? A little bit. Uh, the younger people more because I think they, they felt like they uh, might be um, kind of more, more judged for thinking about leaving, basically. Um, mm. Pretty much everybody who's un- under 40 has left, even if they come back. Um, the older people were, were pretty excited to talk about uh, the, the glories of the past. Um, I mean, it is very much a, a cultural bubble. A lot of the people wanted to meet at the McDonald's, which had a, a big screen TV playing Fox News um, <laughs> all day. Uh, and, and it very much is part of uh, that part of America that watches Fox News and um, has a kind of uh, different set of political beliefs and realities than most people on the coast. And now, John, one of the interesting things uh, about your piece is the role in which uh, faith plays, the role that faith plays in sort of the lives and the decisions of these folks and the way in which the economic situation and the situation in which young people are leaving affects those faith communities as well. Can you talk a little bit about uh, about that for us? Yeah, um, it's, um, it's hard for... Um, uh, uh, churches like the, the Catholic Church in Moundsville, which in the past had a broad base of um, uh, working-class parishioners who were uh, young and had kids and sent their kids to the local school and worked in the local factories and were the product of, of, of um, immigration in the 19th century and early 20th century. Um, and now with the, the young generations leaving, um, are, are left with a mostly um, uh, older population. I went to Mass one morning and it was I, I probably was the only person there under 50. I mean, it really is a, a dramatic um, uh, graying. And the, there's only, only one priest there who's a, a, a lovely Vietnamese diocesan priest who I, I spent some time with. Um, and and he, he struggles to kind of keep, uh, keep the parish um, energized. Um, he uh, compares the struggles of Appalachia to his, his native Vietnam. He left um, right after the war and, and he he points to how um, the expo- exploitation of resources and and the end of a lot of the coal mining communities has, has left a lot of the church communities in Appalachia, especially West Virginia, um, with not enough resources and members to really uh, operate as a sort of the kind of of, of prosperous parish that um, a lot of our listeners uh, might have known growing up, and that you think of when you think of a of a healthy church community, and so. He struggles to keep things together, um, and he he sees the church as as a way though of keeping uh, people hopeful and giving people uh, sort of direction and and um, uh, ideas and 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 some um, uh, some hope in a, in a time that's that's still tough for a lot of people. And he's working against John, as you write about. I mean, several different trends. I mean, he he points to technology as one thing that he struggles with in terms of trying to reach out to young people. There's a huge gap between how 
uh, he and perhaps people who are of the generation who attend daily mass use technology and young people and he kind of lays some blame on the feet of, at the feet of Steve Jobs here in his piece but I mean he's you're working against that trend the fact that as you point out in other parts of the piece people just are not as involved in co- any kind of community activity so church is part of that so um, you also quote here uh, uh, William Portier who I believe has written for America before about um, the challenges of creating a church in a place like this yeah, that's right. Um, uh, Bill Portier, who, uh, by the way, um, uh, taught me theology 20 years ago at St. <laughs> Mary's um, in, in Amherstburg, Maryland. Uh, he made the point to me that um, uh, church is about at least two things, one of which is receiving the sacraments, and the other is building community. Um, and when people make it, when, when it becomes more individualistic, uh, a, a faith like Catholicism becomes more, more vulnerable when, when you start losing the community aspect, um, when it becomes a matter purely of individual choice. Um, and and the, main, the main character in the story, Phil Remke, is actually a man who grew up with Catholicism and is now, he attends Catholic Church because his wife is, is still a, ta- a staunch Catholic, but he also, after Catholic Church, goes to an um, evangelical service in Wheeling where he, pre- he prefers the, the, the bells and whistles and what, what he calls the, the, the more rock and roll aspect of, of the service. All right, so it's not, it's not just... Uh, the young people who are sort of interested in in alternative forms of worship, in a sense, but uh, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, parts. I don't think. Uh, yeah, I didn't meet any. I didn't really go deep, deep in, in that trend, but Phil seemed to to um, uh, emblemize it a little bit, and um, I, I think there is a growth. Uh, I, I heard stories about a growth in the evangelical faiths uh, around around Wheeling and Moundsville. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that it's the it's a it's a you know some of the voices in the older generation are saying you know the church isn't quite t- keeping up with the times, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, and the, the the last Catholic school in Moundsville closed this summer, and there was a lot of kind of painful decision making, and, and people uh, are are upset with with the diocese for for closing the school, um, and so there's still a willingness to to hang on to, by, by a lot of people, but. The numbers just aren't there to make compelling cases where it's it's a no-brainer that you have to do things like keep schools open. Um, but there's still a lot a, a lot of loyal. I talked to a lot of people who are still loyal to the church um, in Moundsville and really love their priests, and so they they are committed to the church at least uh, in, in the medium term for sure. Yeah, it's a hard uh, balance to strike because if you know there's it kind of seems like it's. Uh, vicious cycle of if there you know there's no young people there so it's hard to attract more young people and then other young people look and say well there's nobody here so I'm gonna leave you know it, and it's not um, it, it makes it really hard to to build that community I mean do you think if more young people decide to stay there's there's a sense of opportunity there for them to create for themselves or does it feel like they're you know the part of the reason they're gone is because there's not even that opportunity so that's the hope for a, a guy like Phil Remke, who's the vice mayor, who's the, the main character in my story. He, he sort of likes to compare himself to the, this uh, mayor that Pittsburgh had in the 1980s, Richard Caliguri, who right. sort of started this process that led to Pittsburgh becoming like a high-tech t- hub that has companies like uh, Amazon and Google, um, and Uber has its self-driving car center here in Pittsburgh. And so Phil would sort of like to see Moundsville be like a, a mini Pittsburgh, and it's not a totally crazy thought. I mean, it's not far from uh, Washington and, and Pittsburgh, and it has relatively affordable land and places you could build, like you could imagine, like a big tech campus there. I mean, for now, it's sort of there's a sort of perverse effect of, of rents being higher because of uh, the gas industry. 
Um, uh-huh. Even though a lot of the gas people live in these temporary communities that I wrote about too, these sort of high expensive trailers they park outside of town. Um, it, it's not a totally crazy idea, but it is a long shot that Moundsville would sort of recreate itself as a as a, as a mini tech city. I mean, the the reality, and, and this is another thing that I, I should mention, is that um, there are plenty of jobs, but these jobs are, are not like the $25 an hour unionized jobs with benefits that people had 20 years ago. They're jobs like ten, like working for $10 an hour at Walmart. And I talked to people who work at Walmart, and they say it's a pretty easy job to get, but that's all you're going to get. Um, and I think one lesson I, I took away from this is that policymakers should be thinking about the economy and the jobs that are there as opposed to sort of spinning this fantasy that uh, career unionized labor or, or, or jobs are going to come back to places like Moundsville. Yeah, and there's also a, uh, a sense that what interested me was um, that the that the, the folks, at least that you talked to, who who work at Walmart, were focused on trying to uh, talking about creating the conditions around Walmart that would then the economic conditions that would then prompt Walmart to raise its wages, right? And you know, it it, it used to be an older version of that would be that uh, the workers would uh, unionize and actually ask the company to raise the wages, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so what, what, what's, what's happening there in that dynamic? If, if the labor supply became uh, tight enough, Walmart would have to raise their wages. Um, all the studies I've read suggest that America still has a, a very transient labor force, and Americans are very willing to move for jobs. And I, I covered um, uh, macroeconomics in Europe for seven years for the Wall Street Journal based in Brussels, and that was a big thing that Europeans do not move uh, to get jobs. I mean, partly as a social safety right. net in Europe. But the fact that Americans will move means that companies like Walmart don't have trouble finding people who will work for ten dollars an hour. And the, the people I, I talk to at the Walmart are not from Moundsville. They they're from a hundred or, or two hundred miles away, and they they drive in and get cheap apartments and, and live there, or they commute. Um, but they are willing to move, and so that that sort of takes away that idea that you might create like a tight labor supply and drive wages up that way. Do you yeah. think that's purely from from the necessity standpoint or is there something sort of in the American spirit of like go west young man kind of thing that even if you're going west for a job that isn't super glamorous that's that's sort of how we view the possibility of success in the country? Absolutely. I think I, I grew up in, in, in Belgium and I think that's a huge difference between Europeans and Americans and my, my, my friends uh, I went to high school with at a Belgian public high school all still live in Brussels, yeah, pretty much. And 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 even though they they I mean uh, they have found jobs, but even if they hadn't, I think they would use the safety net. And um, th- I think that's a, a big cultural difference. Yes. Yeah, I think there's um, among some folks that I know there there's a there's a little bit of a sense of like if you don't move away from home, that there there's a sense of 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 a lack of progress or personally or. Uh, professionally, yeah, yeah. even if that's even if you could have a great job at home, that there's there's some right. there's something symbolic for young Americans of saying like, all right, well I've left, you know, not just my right. parents' house or the college, but like I've moved to a new city, I'm on my own, and here I am. And but when you do that, you often end up in some of the big cities that have the jobs. So maybe that's the thing that we need to talk about that needs to change. Yeah, right. I think I think it's I think this identifying uh, success with with literally physical movement is 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 sometimes is is hard on families a lot of time and it, and it makes it harder for young families um 
often when you move away and then you settle and you have kids, but suddenly you're 500 miles from the closest family member who used to be relied upon to, you know, be the babysitter. And then you go into the childcare costs and all the, you know, it, it gets into the economics of things as well. Um, when, when the solution to a lot of those things was you just live near people who helped you out. I got to say one nice thing about living in Pittsburgh is that I have friends where I don't find out what they do for six months before I've known them. I find that I, my husband is from Ireland, and when we go to visit him, I have gone. We've, I've been there for weeks at a time when no one has asked me anything about work, and it's mm. it's very rare that that would ever happen here in the U.S. with people I know. In New, in New York City, for yeah, sure. particularly <laughs> in New York. Right, right. It's one of the first things they ask about, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, you know, this is also the 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 folks that you spoke to um you know demographically anyway they uh, you know they mr trump carried these folks by an enormous margin but these at one, these are folks who at one one point or another may have considered or did vote for either bill clinton or barack obama and um and and so you know these are these are swing voters in a sense, right? Uh, and you know, th- th- these are exactly the kind of voters that national candidates need to be talking about. So, what what is it that politicians need to get about this these folks that they don't get now? The, the, they're totally swing voters, uh, and that's something I, I've done a lot of research on. Um, I mean, partly it's just personal charisma that uh, Obama had it and Trump had it, and you capture the moment, and people just like you personally. I mean, I, I think being um, or, or crafting a message that addresses uh, people's um, concerns about work is, is the biggest thing. And I mean, that the um, I, I think it was it was manipulated. But the, the Hillary quote about putting uh, coal miners out of business just crushed her in West Virginia. Yeah. And so if if um, politicians want to connect, I mean, I think they have to craft a message that speaks to the heart of of, um, of voters' concerns about work. And there's a really interesting thing in in Pittsburgh where the United Steelworkers Union is headquartered. The USW leaders um, hated Trump. They really uh, thought he was disloyal and not one of them. But the rank and file loved him because he he touched their their hearts with these talks about rescinding trade deals. Um, and so if you can, if you can craft a message that you know speaks to that, I think you're going to win. Yeah, and that was uh, that was. That was always Bill Clinton's point, you know, that whenever whenever the Democratic Party isn't talking about jobs, it's losing, right? And the, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, you know, I mean, uh, you know, and and you know, these are folks who, you know, they they all supported Robert Byrd, and uh, you know, so there there is more flexibility in this polarized country of ours than you would think uh, by watching the news, and. Um, you know the na- it, the national leadership of the parties. Uh, you know doesn't seem to I, get that. I, I agree with you. I, I do worry about um, the information cycle because you you have a loss of um, uh, sort of shared uh, information and newspapers that everybody reads and television that everybody reads. Uh, Moundsville does have one newspaper, and it's run by this crotchety old guy who has this 120-year-old German printing press, and I walked in there, and he, <laughs> sort, of sho- he sort of shooed me away, but he, he wraps up the newspaper in rubber bands and delivers um, them by hand after cranking them out on this 19th-century printing press. Uh, but it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to fade away and die in a few years, and, and Moundsville will have no newspaper. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a very worrying thing, and I, I don't have an answer, and I, I wish there was some... 
I wish uh, Jeff Bezos or, or Bill Gates would come up with a plan to fund journalism um, in places like, like Moundsville, uh, because if everybody just watches Fox News, which um, is often making stuff up or ha has people on it that are um, feeding into the same kind of cyclical loop of, of uh, talking points and the same for some, some on the left, uh, it's, you're not going to get anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's really where we feel the the, the loss of newspapers is, is, is really at the local level uh, in places like like Moundsville. Um, totally. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Because our, uh, you know, our inability to to share the same facts is uh, that's, right, that's yeah. a problem. Because, you know, if you're going to have a debate, you got to start out with some common data and um, and that that it seems increasingly difficult to find or at least you know data that we can all agree on because it's you know we're so suspicious of the sources it's um yeah it's a tough I one i totally agree and, and people like phil who's a, a a trump voter i mean he is very um well-intentioned and uh would believe a case if it was made to him i think truthfully and, and honestly and would be open to argument um and uh i, I don't think all hope is lost but i, I think um uh, there needs to be some evolution in, in public information. Right, right. Well, the piece is called uh, A West Virginia Town Looks for a New Start in Trump's America. It's by John W. Miller, and it's the cover story of the most recent issue of America. John, thanks so much for being with us, and thank you for this great contribution to the magazine. Yeah, thanks to all of you. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, this is a remarkable story. Uh, you know, I... I, I we started out the broadcast by talking about how I was down in Florida on vacation, and uh, I was uh, going with my parents to the 5, 5 p.m. early bird special at the steakhouse, <laughs> <laughs> choking down a steak at 5 to save $3. <laughs> but there was, because, and there was a big coupon in the local paper, and, uh, you know, older people, they still all read local papers, and so the place was packed. I had never waited 20 minutes for a table at 5 o'clock in my life. <laughs> but... What was it? Had you ever been in a table at five o'clock before? Anyway, I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, having lunch, maybe. <laughs> but what? One of the things that was really interesting that uh, you know I realized in talking to them and then talking to their friends is that um, they're they're very much like the folks that John talked to in this piece. In that, um, I mean, they're a little better off. Uh, they're 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 middle class and they're more mobile, but they also are are basically voting on you know this. Who do we think is going to improve the economy and, and make the economy better? And they think that the rest of it is just a bunch of noise. So in this very strange way, um, they 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 are they're they're really smart in figuring out that you know that stuff I'm hearing is just stuff, and I'm focused on this this one question, and that's what they that's what they're focused on. Um, and they're able to make to discern that. Yeah. Yeah. But as John also said, I mean, I think charisma does actually make a big difference yeah. because like, people who command attention, for good or for bad, on, on you know, tend to get you know, tend to sway the electorate. You know, from Clinton to Obama to, to Trump. Well, it, I mean, it's the who would you rather have a beer with yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. That's I mean, that's Bush often too, who people yeah. vote for. At the taller candidate <laughs> frequently yeah. wins. Like, so you have a good chance, Matt, if you ever decide to go back into politics. <laughs> but I, I think uh, for our radio listeners, Matt, what are you, 6'4", 6'5"? 
Uh, you're six tall. four. Six four. All right. Six four. Yeah. So. And shrinking. <laughs> <laughs> so your chances of being a politician are lessening with a day. Uh, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, they, if they are still existent at all. <laughs> I think you might have ruled that one out a little while ago. Right. But yeah, if I mean, so it's, I'm it's, running for mayor of so much of politics. <laughs> so much of politics is about emotion. Yeah. Uh, and and how someone makes you feel. Right. And that, but that can't be sort of what completely drives us. No, indeed, it cannot. Um, so we, you've been listening to America This Week on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. You can find uh, more uh, at americamagazine.org. You can read about this story and every story that we have talked about today. And um, you can also follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. Um, and you can follow us from anywhere in the country. You can follow us from Moundsville, if you like. <laughs> <laughs> and to subscribe to America, call 1-800-627-9533. That's 1-800-627-9533 for a smart Catholic take on faith and culture. For Carrie Weber and Tim Reedy, I'm Father Matt Malone. Thank you, and good day. Thank you for listening to the podcast of America This Week, courtesy of the Catholic Channel on Sirius XM 129. If you want to listen to more, subscribe to Sirius XM and tune in on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.